Sunday, 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 right here on twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. It's the Plex, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific and on into red light. We have the worst news in the week that no one else will cover. The Plex has it all. Conspiracy, right-wing nut jobs, Christian extremism, and Madison Star Moon. Tune in every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media for beautiful food and inspiration. Yeah. Uh-huh.
everybody, welcome to Down Ballot. We do the show live every Tuesday, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash media. If you're listening on the podcast, make sure you're following the podcast and, I don't know, text the podcast to your friend. Just text them that uh, Apple podcast or Spotify link or whatever. Send them to our website, echoplexmedia.com. And, I don't know, give us money, patreon.com slash echoplex. People at $5 and up on there get the entire audio capture of all of our podcast recording sessions. So that's Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, plus bonus material. And we're not actually paywalling an MP3 over $5. You can email us if you want the any of the shows, and I'll just mail you a link to the MP3. You're mostly doing Patreon to support us. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. This is uh, The Councilman. You can find me on Twitter at T-H-E underscore Councilman. And obviously, always loving up on Producer Dave. And thank you so much for uh, all the magnanimous treatment of our, our follower, our listener, our viewer. Um, we thank you all for coming, all three of you. And uh, we really hope that uh, we, we bring you uh, some entertaining uh, tidbits and a little bit of value every Tuesday night with our uh, local experience here. Uh, please stay tuned for Local Love after Down Ballot. Producer Dave, any announcements about Local Love this evening? Yeah, we have a we have a live performance and interview with the name escapes me. I guess you'll just have to stay tuned to check that out or download the pod if you're checking out the Down Ballot pod. That's a cool band name. The band, the, the name escapes me. I think that that would be a pretty cool band name. Man, I've just been busy today, and I just haven't had a lot of time to like do a lot of thinking. Thanks for taking care of the show prep. Uh, next- oh, I'm in the same same boat. So, but thank you for all your support as always as well. Uh, so either next week or maybe as a bonus sometime this week, we're going to go over the candidates forum for the San Jose mayor. Uh, we'll have some thoughts, but, uh, this week, uh, what do we have for leading off councilman? Well, uh, proving once again, that all politics, uh, are local. Um, I thought we would, uh, grab this video that I found randomly on YouTube searching for local news, uh, about politics here in the Bay area. This is actually from gross point, Michigan, which was made famous by gross point blank, right? The, uh, the film with John Cusack, um, so this is a school board meeting in Gross Point, as you can see, very well attended. And uh, <laughs> apparently this educator was uh, uh, resigning from working in the district and wanted to let the board know sort of why and what he thought about uh, the state of the district. Uh, so this is his resignation speech, as it were, to this enormous crowd at the board meeting. Sean McCarroll, I'm a teacher over at North and I live down in the park. Uh, Last year, I participated in a professional development session during our November PD Day. Offered by Beaumont, we were strongly encouraged to go. The topic was how to triage after the event of a school shooting. During that session, I learned and even practiced on a dummy how to pack a bullet wound and apply a tourniquet to prevent blood loss in our students. I also, to my horror, learned that if my students were to get shot in the chest, I should leave them for dead and assist those who had a better chance of survival. Now, I find it interesting. The district sponsored that for us and trusts us, the teachers who have no medical training in any capacity to be the first responders to our students' medical needs in the event of a school tragedy. Trust us to literally choose and decide who would live and die, while you don't even trust us with the educational decisions that are in the best interest of our students, the thing that we've been hired to do. The teachers in this district are experts, experts in education. We've been highly trained through advanced degrees and years of experience to make the best educational decisions for our students. I have 10 years of experience, two postgraduate degrees in education. I'm a licensed K-12 administrator and a district level department chair. I'm more qualified to make educational decisions for our students, except for one person. Everybody here has less experience or actual knowledge of what life is like in our classrooms. Like you've done to my colleagues, you've disregarded my experience, my professionalism, and my expertise and reality, and substituted it with your fantasies. You're listening to them. 
They don't know what happens in our classrooms. They're not there, and neither are you. You sit up on this stage, which by the way, I hope you enjoy the space you have here. This does not exist in our classrooms. And you tell us after your meetings that you so appreciate and respect us. Well, I cry bullshit. You don't respect us. If you respected us, you'd listen to us. You don't appreciate us. If you did, you wouldn't make our jobs literally impossible to do. If you cared, you would pretend that you're listening, at least. I sent you an email months ago expressing my concern about our full face-to-face -face return, and I didn't get a single response from any of you, not one, not even a message received. I helped get many of you elected to this board, and you couldn't even be bothered to hit reply. If you actually respected me and my colleagues, you'd prove it with your actions. Instead, you'll make your vote tonight, basically a foregone conclusion because you're trying to ram it through in a single meeting, and then you'll get to the end of the meeting where you say that you do respect us. Last time we were here, John told you that teachers were angry. You can probably tell that that was true. He said, though, that it wasn't about the, uh, any decisions at the board level. It was the situation. We're not angry about the situation. We can't control COVID. We're angry at you. We are angry at you. <laughs> and angry is a nice way of putting it. You've done more damage to our students, our district, and our profession in the last 12 months than we've seen in the last decade. Keep going down this path, and I'll be surprised if our number one teachers even stick around. I know I'm not. I submitted my resignation to 389 last week, and I'm looking forward to doing something that's going to be valued and appreciated, not lied to and belittled. Listen to your teachers. We're number one in spite of this board, not because of it. If you trust that's us to minutes. plug a bullet wound, you should trust us with this. That's three minutes. How many teachers need to leave before you start to listen? Well, that's fantastic. I like him. You've reached your three minutes. Well, I mean, three great, minutes great is three response. minutes. Like that's that's fine. That guy crammed a lot into those three minutes. He absolutely did. He absolutely did. I just love the the, the disembodied voice of the board the board chair. You've reached your three minutes. Um, he just laid it on there, and he, every word that guy said is one hundred percent true. I'm sure in his district, and it is one hundred percent true in many, 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 many districts, um, school districts throughout the country, especially here at home. I can point to, I used to work at a school district. I know <laughs> I've heard this exact rant, this exact, um, uh, you know, diatribe before. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, belittle or make it sound negative. I'm, I'm incredibly supportive. My, <laughs> I come from a family of teachers. This is absolutely true. This is what's happening. Uh, the folks who are elected to lead these school boards have no earthly idea what they're doing. They have no experience in education. A lot of times they are parents who have kids in the district and suddenly they're very concerned about what's going on in the district. A lot of the times they are people who are looking for a higher office one day, and this is where they think they can start their political career, despite the fact that they're making multi-million dollar decisions that impact thousands of children's lives and families' lives every single day. They don't know what they're doing. So it's no surprise that, unfortunately, they don't give the freedom and the creativity uh over to their teachers to do what they are trained to do which is educate our kids they try to meddle or they just don't do much of anything at all and we end up in a self-perpetuating cycle where the public education system uh cannot improve and cannot evolve because of this incalcitrance from elected officials who are chosen by us the people right the parents who get so uh, fired up about every little thing uh and because of that, there's a huge demand from the same parents to uh, have an exodus to charter schools or to create new environments where they can test and experiment and do new things or send their kids to private school if they have the wherewithal, right? Um, and slowly but surely, you deteriorate the traditional public school system 
to the point where it's just it's uh, non-recognizable and really the only people getting a good education are those who can afford to send their kids to private schools um, because charter schools will go down with the public school districts that they're created in. They're still dependent on that funding. They're still dependent on those students and all the resources. That's why charters are so nefarious because they're sucking up public resources when they could be, uh, these programs that they're doing could be implemented in all classrooms. Like this teacher is saying, he, he wants, he desperately wants to be uh, creative and to be in charge of, uh, you know, of his own destiny in terms of teaching his kids and doing what's best for them. Um, but we just don't let them do that. And unfortunately, that's that's if we don't learn to respect teachers uh, and let them do their job, but also pay them to do their job, pay them better to do their job, we're just going to see uh, this deterioration occur. So he didn't bring, he didn't specifically say it, but this he's talking like when he's like, you're not letting me do my job. And, you know, you expect me to triage during a school shooting, but you're not letting me actually teach. He's like probably alluding to person after person after person after person who's come up there and complained about the way history is being taught, calling it critical race theory, the way that the way that COVID was uh, react responded to by the school district, uh, learning about gay people and then sex education. He's pro he was probably alluding to all of that when he said, you're not letting us do our jobs, right? Yes and no. I mean, it, there's, this actually predates COVID um, where uh, there have been a lot of, uh, a lot of advancements in education in terms of, you know, the teaching profession, they just, in, ter in terms of different ways of teaching, right? Different ways of looking at things. So it's not so rudimentary as it was before. Right. And all these things that people are clamoring for, right? Some evolution in education. Well, that's all been happening at the thought level amongst teachers and educators. Unfortunately, that doesn't, has never been implemented really in the classroom. And you just have the same rote learning to the test kind of model um, over and over again. That's kind of what he's referring to is that it's, it's that it's it that's institutional. There is definitely the more recent factor of um, uh, what he's talking about when he's alluding to with the, the triage in terms of school shootings and uh, things of this nature. Right. And he he's expected to in the event of a school shooting to defend his, his students life or limb, but they won't let him do his job of actually educating them the other days when there isn't a school shooting um, happening on campus. Are there districts where the the school board is handled differently where there are educators from the district sitting in seats on the school board um if they're if they're elected that's the thing you know you have to you have to get elected um in in some cases yes there there definitely are educators like I, there are a number of districts the districts i used to work at um at least one of the board members now uh was a former educator or current educator i should say um, in fact, the, the head of the teachers union in his own district, which is not the district he works in, it's the district he lives in. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, th th it does it does occur, but never uh, it's usually not a majority of the board. And a lot of the times, once these folks get on the board, it just becomes they become stuck in the system in a way. Like they may oh. come on saying they're gonna they're gonna go hell and high, you know high water and change things. And then they get just completely stuck. And maybe maybe system. my question was too vague. I I, I meant to ask: oh, Are there are there uh, school boards where the paradigm is different, where it's not uh, necessarily a political position being on the school board, but more um, like a committee of educators who are in the school system, who are not elected, but are, are on uh, like some sort of panels or where they where they make decisions for the, the school district in a different way that is not politicized? Do you know if anything like that exists out there? Uh, in a public school system, I would imagine not, I can't say for sure, but I would imagine not simply because if there's public dollars, if there are public dollars being spent 
you're almost sure there's going to be an elected body of some sort that we have the, the people can you know vote in and out um that's there to govern that right those, those expenses the problem is that it's just hard for um you know employees educators to have real substantial voices on those boards right because it's also hard to get elected and teachers don't make a lot of money um and and the other and thing is you don't i mean the public's going to get mad if the teachers are going in there every week and yeah. take, taking up because the public thinks it's their time and they're probably going to get pissed off if the teachers come up and say well the last person said this and here's what's really going on here's why you know here's why we don't do it that way and the public yeah. would probably get be livid if they every time they came into the school board to air their grievances some teacher came up and explained how it works or even just some school right. administrator like the assistant principal from one of the schools goes i can't believe we're having this discussion here's why we like the, the community would be livid if that happened i believe because the kind of people who go in there are there to air their grievances without pushback well don't get me started on sort of the the negative uh, reputation and slander that's been happening for you know for teachers unions honestly uh, for teacher labor unions right uh, they, they actually encourage their members to go into school board meetings and speak up um, and it can be really effective. They can be really effective, but, it, uh, uh, they've got such a negative reputation now because they do a lot of political spending and they are very political bodies, um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a bad word or something to be involved with the union or to be, to, to be there representing the union. So, um, yeah, there, there aren't a lot of opportunities. There are like advisory boards, right? Like every, every district has, you know, educator advisory boards. They've got, you know, um, school site councils, and then they've got, you know, more, uh, district level councils of, educators administrators uh classified workers like the folks in the office the folks who are ser uh, serving the food the folks who are cleaning the facility right they're all engaged in some way in some sort of advisory capacity but how much and how how much that trickles up the information trickles up to the board and then how much the board actually acts upon it the trickle up is a factor of you know the superintendent usually and the people in in charge the admins in charge the ones that are hired and fired by the board and they can control the, the information. They can control the trickle of information up the ladder. And that prevents the board from acting because they may not know something's a problem. But boards just tend to want to just hold the line while they're on the school board so that they're either reelected or they are elected to the next thing up. Um, or they just, they're just solely focused on one thing. They're a parent and they have a focus on the dress code. I think they, they ran for school board because, oh, they don't like the school district's dress code because of how it impacted their student. Um, right. And that's it. And once they're done, once they're done with that, they they don't really check out. They don't really give two shits about anything else that's going on. So this this like seems they, they punch the clock and yeah. We're gonna we're gonna probably have to move on in a second here. Maybe we can maybe we can do a uh, after the election. Maybe we can do one focused on school boards education and for sure kind of give for some sure. of our thoughts on that. But maybe the my closing thought here is I think that it might be time for the education system in this country to like first and foremost reevaluate the the just the structure and the way that we do the school board itself because we talk about this on our wednesday show all the time that like and it's not in the same context but that you have these sort of these people that are like talking outside of their realm of expertise and they have power these people we talk about on wednesday have power because they're popular but they're talking about things that they don't have any expertise on and it seems mm -hmm. like we have this problem in the school board too where you know, just some concerned parent runs and I mean, good for them, whatever you get them. And I think a lot of people do this with the best intentions, but I think a lot of them do it like what you said, because of a bugaboo. And I, I think there might be, there might be, it might be time for us as a society to stop electing the school board. I know the teachers already have a lot on their plate, but if it was like a rotating panel of teachers and school administrators that were deciding on policy for the district where it was like opt in volunteer, 
I feel like we would just have like, like when people come in and say crazy things at these school boards, there would be somebody on that panel who can address the crazy thing that person said, you know, mm-hmm. be, be respectful if, if at all possible, but mm-hmm. that we could, we could have people up there who are doing the job and explaining to the person who comes up and doesn't like the dress code. They're like, I don't like the dress code either, but here's the logic behind the dress code. <laughs> like, yeah. And, uh, in theory, like staff's all there and can be called upon at any time by the board to to come up to the podium if they happen to be there, right, and respond to these things. Um, but you're right; I, I, it has to be on the dais, right? Like I, a lot of school boards have like a student rep, right? There's they they elect like the sort of de facto student reps, right? And they sit there and they listen to everything. They're not like jumping in and you know that, causing that student reps should get usually. to vote. Right. They don't, they don't get a vote, right? They just sit there and listen. And then maybe they're feisty, maybe they're not, but they are not really doing it during the anything during the meeting because they don't really feel it's their place and they're not really given the space to anyway. And that's why they don't feel it's their place probably. Um, but I have served on, real quick before we move on, I have served on uh, boards where, uh, for example, like the, uh, the art commission, right? There was a public art committee that I served on. And not that I'm an expert on public art. Um, I know a thing or two, but I'm not certainly not an expert. However, we had commissioners on there. All, none of us, none of us had, you know, lived experience in public art. But we also had, uh, in an advisory capacity, um, right there with us on the dais, an artist, an architect, a developer, people who have the lived experience and, and the expertise, so that we could use them to do just what you said, right? If someone came in and said, "This is a crazy idea. Kids are going to jump all over this," right? The architect can come in and say, "No, no, we can do this and that and the other thing to make sure it's safe," right? Um, so if the more you have the voices right up there on the dais, on the, pla- on the platform at the podium, um, or I'm sorry, instead of at the podium, uh, you know, called upon to explain themselves, right. You elevate them to that level. You give them the respect they deserve and you listen to them. Um, that's what's, what, what could really move the needle. Yeah. I just noticed that like during even the Shasta board of supervisors meetings, sometimes the count county lawyer will just jump in and be like, we can't do that. That's illegal. Right. Like what you're suggesting is illegal. And I figure if the County board of supervisors for Shasta County, where half the fucking place believes in chemtrails can, uh, can have somebody up there who can just inject some like reality into it. I figure school boards across the nation can do it. But I also think that more structural change is necessary in the school boards after what we've seen, because I don't want activist parents or activists who aren't even parents who have like a societal bone to pick. With people like me, a lot of the time, just for existing and being a gay, I don't want them yep. on the fucking school board. Yeah, they don't want them gender-neutral bathrooms. So, we're going to have to move on to winners and losers. This is going to be a shortened version of winners and losers. What do we got first? Well, uh, following up on a story from last week, just, to, just so we can make sure we're following up for you here on Down Ballot, because we like to follow up. Uh, protesters are now taking to the streets because uh, the council members who were embroiled in that Los Angeles scandal around uh, the racist uh, recordings, well, they a couple of them, the dudes, wouldn't you know it, um, did not follow the suit of the uh, female uh, council president who resigned her office um, and uh, do so as well. And they are holding out, trying to see if they can outlast the... the uh, uh, turmoil. So now protesters are coming to one of the council members' home uh, and camping out and demanding that he 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 get out of office. 
Our top story tonight, one week after the city council's secret audio scandal that rocked L.A. while well, the fallout does continue. And tonight, protesters camped outside of Kevin DeLeon's home demanding he resign. We have KCAL 9's Joy Benedict live in Eagle Rock tonight. Joy, where demonstrators say they won't leave until the city councilman steps down. I work yesterday morning. Oh my God! That's right, Leslie. That's what, that's what, what folks you. here are saying, and they've actually been here what? since yesterday. I mean, take a look at this crowd. It showed up last night here in Eagle Rock, and they are camped out. They got coffee. They are staying until they get the resignation from Kevin DeLeon. Yes, next. It's been quite a week from anger to tears. I'm a dad who loves his son in ways that words cannot capture. As the nation heard the audio recording of three city council members making racist slurs during a strategy meeting about redistricting, much of the hate targeting council member Mike Bonin's young black son. There was a hurt and a pain that came from that. I'm a mother. And so what Nuri Martinez said about that black baby boy, that hurt my heart. Saturday, members of Black Lives Matter started camping out near council member Kevin DeLeon's home. We're going to camp out until Kevin DeLeon gets out of city council. Council President Nuri Martinez first stepped down to take a leave of absence and then resigned. This group wants the two other council members present during that recording, DeLeon and Gil Cedillo, to follow suit. What Kevin said about black power and really the diminishment of black power, saying that the black power movement, the work that we're doing around black liberation and freedom is just 25 black people yelling. That hurts. But we also need to think about what it means that they were conspiring in a room together. Saturday, members of the Oaxacan community took to the streets demanding resignations as well. And Sunday, activists in South L.A. demanded a black council president be chosen on Tuesday and said DeLeon and Cedillo, if they haven't resigned by then, should lead the charge. You have a chance now to reach out. You have a chance now to undo some of the damage that you did. You have a chance now to actually make a difference. So don't blow it. We need to think who's the best person forward when it comes to healing these divisions. And everybody's going to have a slightly different take on this. Political analyst Jessica Levinson says the issue isn't just about who is the temporary president of the council, since this week has clearly shown the world that there was a lot of work to be done to heal this city. We'd love to see Mike Bonin in that seat, right? We'd love to see. He's the only council member who, by choice, chose not to continue on city council. Now, De Leon's house is actually a few houses down as demonstrators are not allowed to be directly in front of it. So they are in front of neighbors' homes. And folks out here tell me that the neighborhood has actually been very welcoming, dropping off pizza and donuts <laughs> throughout the day and letting them know that it's okay if they camp out here on the sidewalk. Now, the city council meeting scheduled for Tuesday. That is when they will be selecting a new president of the city council, a temporary term to last through the end of the year. Leslie. Joy, thank you so much. Of course, you can stay with KCAL 9 News on that, air. That city council, that's today, right? Yeah, we're going to have that for next week. We'll have some a little clip from that for next week for sure. Um, but I'm not sure what went down, to be honest with you. I haven't been on Twitter a lot today. Otherwise, uh, I would have an, a, a better update. But yeah, <laughs> I love that. You are required to be 300 feet from uh, the home of whoever or you know the private home of whoever you're protesting. 
um, really 300 feet from any residence. But if the res the neighbors are welcoming and saying you can camp out on their lawn, then you can camp out on their lawn. There really is nothing the city can do about it. So um, go- good for them. Good on them. They got pizza. They got donuts. They got coffee. I mean, what else do you need? You got a protest. You know, uh, just get a guitar and you know, let's go. What do you got three? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I- down. I just think they need to, I don't know, all these, all these people need to step down. I don't know. I don't know like what possessed them to when they were conducting what, I don't know if it was official business or semi-official business on a group call with their, uh, with their, uh, with their coworkers. I don't know what possessed them to behave in this way, even in a private conversation over coffee. That's inappropriate, but this is like, seems like a few of them got together for a conference call and it's just bad news, bad news. Yeah. And one of them just looks like I, I would bet routinely records these things um, or has a staffer record these things. And the, the recording got out more than likely because this as my wife, my wife said, the staffer would just look at this and be like, yeah, no, I asked I, because we both worked for elected officials at some point, And I asked her, you know, what's the line, right? Like you obviously you're loyal to your boss. You're, you have a job, right? You want to keep your job. You want to be loyal to your boss. You want your you want your boss to look bad um generally speaking right but that's usually if they like say a faux pas or something or they misspell something in a newsletter not like you know this right um so i asked her what's the line she's like this is the line (laughs) this is when you would you would absolutely um share this or get this out because it's it's more important than your boss or your or that one person so yeah for sure that's our guess that's our best guess is that um and and her best guess the the good wife that uh this was a staffer that leaked this yeah, for sure. I, because one of the people that was involved in it obviously didn't leak it. It was certainly uh, somebody in, yeah. in their office. Yeah. So yeah. what's up um, with uh, the underground casino in San Jose? I'm shocked, shocked to find that there's gambling going on in San Jose. Uh, well, SJPD seems to have uncovered uh, an undercover casino um, in a, a couple different locations. They 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 did a they did a they did a a good, I guess, or they they caught a crime. Well, we'll find out more. Police say they had been watching these homes for weeks, trying to gather enough evidence. And when they finally moved in, it was a huge relief for neighbors. Sky Ranger was overhead when police raided the homes in East San Jose on Thursday, one on Marchant Court, a second on North Capitol Avenue. What these homes turned into is a den of criminal activity. Police say gambling, drug use, and assaults were occurring at these homes. They arrested 48-year-old Nguyen Nguyen and 53-year-old Anita Nguyen for running the operations. Police say Nguyen was already on their radar. On September 4th, he actually stabbed one of the people that was there visiting uh, this illegal operation. Uh, That person subsequently reported the incident. He was stabbed at least one time. It was a non-life-threatening injury. But that just goes to show what was occurring at some of these locations. Police also arrested five other people who were inside the homes during the raids. Both homes are in residential areas, both less than a mile from a school. The Capitol Avenue location had a busted front window this morning. Police say it was likely from the raid. And it has an alterations sign in front. Officers say sometimes these are covers for illegal activity. Just shocked. Shocked it's even happening here in our neighborhood, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm glad it, you know, they stopped it before it got even worse. Police have been busting illegal gambling operations for years, some in cafes, others inside laundromats. Now, laundromats? That's awesome. Neighborhoods. Detectives are sure. I mean, what else are you going to do while you're waiting for your laundry? Neighbors worry about the other crimes that come with this illegal activity. Nothing good, yeah, nothing good will happen come out of that, but I'm glad it it stopped. 
Police say they might not have the staffing levels to go after those illegal casinos constantly, but they vow to keep following the leads when the tips come in. In San Jose, Damian Trujillo, NBC Trujillo. Area News. So there you go. Watch out if you're if you're doing crimes in casinos and in your apartments. You know the, the SJPD might find you if they have the staffing levels. I'm like I'm like kind of okay with um, small casino in the in the laundromat. To be perfectly honest, I mean like don't get me wrong. Yeah. We should we should make that legal because like you were saying, what else are you gonna do while you're waiting for your laundry? I'd pop a couple quarters in. I don't even like to gamble. Absolutely, and then tax the shit out of it, right? Ten percent, so two point five cents on that on that quarter comes to the city um, for you know good things, parks, and you know uh, public transportation and and other shit like that, right? Uh, the good the good stuff, um, the, the good stuff, yeah, <laughs> the good stuff. Uh, but yeah, and just uh, just another example of what's lurking just beneath the surface here in in San Jose. You never know what you're going to find. But um, yeah, if you if you're at a laundromat and you see a you see a, a slot machine. Maybe just give it give it a pull. Don't call the cops. Yeah, if you're in a laundromat, you did not see a slot machine, right? What slot machine? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see nothing. Um, so that's what's happening on the east side. Now we're going to go over to the west side of San Jose and see what's happening over there, where the the good residents of Weddo Glen are finding out what a gel gun is. I didn't know what it was either, to be honest with you. But I'm also from Weddo Glen, so that that tracks day someone shot a gel gun into a south bay middle school today some of those pellets which are made of gel actually hit some of the kids parents say they're just glad no one got seriously hurt nbc barry scott budman joins us outside live outside of willow glen middle school and scott so it shot at the school with this gel gun i've never even heard of a gel gun yeah, they're soft pellet gel guns, Jessica, and someone was driving nearby here outside Willow Glen Middle School in front of the school when they shot soft pellets from that gun into a classroom. A few of those pellets hit some of the students and a teacher. We're told nobody was hurt and nobody is saying who did this, but the school sent a letter today to parents letting them know what happened. People here say it's not the only time they've heard of this type of gel gun being used in this area. I think they call them Orbeez. You soak them in water and they swell up. And they have these guns that shoot them, sort of like paintball guns. And what? You who is this guy in San Jose? Like, he's not a parent? Like, who is he? Just a random dude? I don't know, but he seems to know, he seems to know what he's talking about. Seriously? Shoot them Orbeez. Like you can do little paintball pellets. Supposedly, they don't hurt and they're kind of harmless. They basically just make a mess. I think he's the shooter. Again, no <laughs> Day, <laughs> He's trying to distract. They are looking for whoever shot those jump hiding in plain sight into the classroom in Willow Glen, Scott. Button. You missed him. He's hiding in plain sight. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. Don't fire projectiles into into at a school of any kind. Seriously, God, at any one, right? Like you're gonna you want to shoot off some projectiles? Go where well, there's no people or pets or animals or whatever. Just like you know, you didn't do a damn rock or something. But I think the guy uh. that knew everything about the kind of weapon that was used should be on the short list yeah he definitely sounds like a person of interest to me i, I don't know <laughs> I, it, it, and what i don't get why he was there in the first place right why well, get very suspicious that he's in the neighborhood at all right does he live there is he a parent is he in a you know is he an employee of the school i don't know i do know the the principal at that middle school he's a kick so um I, it sucks that he had to deal with this he's a really good guy um but he, he more than likely handled it pretty well he's a good communicator so hopefully the parents i i haven't heard a whole lot of Luffle about this, which is interesting. So uh, maybe they handled it pretty well. But usually, there's something like this in that neighborhood. Um, 
Tony Willow Glenn, right? Um, you know, this would set people off. This is the kind of thing where people will be saying on Nick's tour, it's just like the East Side. It's like a drive-by shooting. Um, I mean, it probably so was someone from a car. Right. Right. Uh, anyways, just to give you the context of the, di the different type of uh, crime and uh, malfeasance that um, we deal with on in different parts of the city and then uh, how people react to it also. Yeah, whatever. I guess if nobody was hurt, that's good. But like we live in a country like, where people are terrified of like somebody coming and shooting anywhere where there's a that's crowd cool. actually. And that's so like cool. even if like it's not a harmless prank, even though it's nobody was injured and the, apparently the type of device used was unlikely to injure somebody. That's not really the point here. It's more like, yeah, it's more like you're scaring the shit out of people. Right. Um, and not that it's a, you know, pathway crime or something like that, but just the, you know, the, it, okay, fine. It's a harm, harmless quote unquote Pelican that just makes a mess. As the guy said, uh, you know, the symbolism is very important. Right. And, and just the act itself is, is very important. So whether or not you intended to hurt anyone, you could, and you may very well did. Um, so yeah, let's be better. So up next, we got a better have your shit together election officials. And this is in Contra Costa County. I uh, will just let this roll. It looks like uh, they're trying to assure everybody that the election will be fine. But by assuring everyone that the election will be fine, they're giving, you know, they're giving some room to the idea that it might not be. Correct. Taking every step it can to make sure voters know that their ballot is safe and that every vote will be accurately counted. Now, tensions are particularly high after the recent arrest of a software company CEO. Turns out that company makes the software that Contra Costa County uses to manage poll workers. As NBC Bay Area's Jody Hernandez tells us, the county says if you vote there, you don't have any reason to be concerned. 1,666. Yes. Contra Costa County tested its Dominion ballot tabulating machines this morning, a state requirement to ensure accuracy before the election. My experience with Dominion has been um, 100% every time. Um, I don't, I can't recall a time that the system has uh, f come up with a, an incorrect logic and accuracy. In fact, Dominion is now suing the former president and several conservative news outlets for repeating false claims about its voting machines, claims highlighted yesterday at the January 6th hearings. You can press a button for Trump and the vote goes to Biden. What kind of a system is this? Now a new issue is raising concerns among some voters. After an election software company CEO was arrested in Southern California on charges of grand theft and embezzlement. At issue here is the theft of personal identifying information of election workers in Los Angeles County. Contra Costa County does use that company's software to manage its poll workers, but says they don't collect social security numbers like Los Angeles does. We are confident that our poll workers' data has not been breached, um, and the fact that we don't collect the personal identifiable information that is the subject of the breach, I feel is very important for people to know. Despite all the reassurance, election officials say they've received some aggressive calls from voters and a threatening email warning, get ready for hell to break loose in Martinez. When it crosses a line to um, threatening people or individual, individuals uh, for their livelihood, 
is kind of out of line. The election worker who has received some of the alarming messages says he's shaken. He spoke to us but didn't want to appear on camera. It does make you uh, think twice about uh, stepping out of the office, you know, who's, who's around, um, just being aware of your surroundings. The threat, the email was taken as a threat. Um, it was directed towards a specific employee, um, and we did report it to the FBI. Contra Costa County's election officials say they're going the extra mile to be transparent and to ensure their systems are tamper-proof and accurate. In Contra Costa County, Jody Hernandez, NBC Bay Area News. So they did a couple things in that news story that I thought were a little bit irresponsible. One, they kind of, they, they stoked, they like brought up Dominion as if anybody knows anything about like the Dominion voting machines other than the conspiracy theories about them. Like, I don't know much about the Dominion voting machines, right? I know a lot about, I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around them about them. And it just seems like the news here just did a bad job of like whatever the hell it is they were trying to do. And they're basically just feeding into conspiracy theory about this by even running this story the way they did. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this could also be a typical local news story in that it comes, it's it's derived from a press release, probably from the Contra Costa Registrar Voters, uh, because they felt the need to come out and say, oh, well, yeah, we're using, to, maybe, maybe one person emailed them and said, you know, you're using this uh, software, you know, all hell's going to break loose. So they feel the need to come out with a press release and a big push to say, oh, yeah, we're using it and it's totally cool and everything's great and everything's fine and everything's fine and everything's fine and it's great, thanks. And you know, it's uh, it's not necessary. Uh, it's it, and they've created a story that doesn't need to be told in the place. And the news is just sort of rolling with their press release and not really digging too deep, right? And they just you know they tell the story for them. Um, so I, I would actually probably blame the registrar more than the, the news. Although the news should do a better job of creating a more three dimensional story, absolutely. But this is the local news, and that's sort of how. Right. I mean, it was sort, it's sort of their extent. <laughs> it was a quick hit. They could have also just done a better yeah. job by focusing on the fact that people are harassing the election workers and not yeah. like giving the yeah. lead in explaining what we've all been exposed to since for the last two, almost two years now. It's almost two years since the last election. Like, yeah, like everybody, I mean, like people, people already know. And it just like lends credence to it. And I think like people who aren't like super like connected to that stuff might go like digging for like dominion problems with dominion and now all of a sudden they're on rumble or something watching some yeah. dinesh d'souza video about how about how people are like you know harvesting ballots or whatever and it's just not good yeah. not great no, they're getting right they're getting radicalized right um and uh really and like you said they really buried the lead on this story the fact that elections officials these folks who are not getting paid tons of money right they're public servants uh, at the end of the day they have a really thankless job it's really big job it's really important job it's very visible job uh more so than anything else that like a county normally uh, administrator does um and you know they are getting death threats like election workers and poll workers people who are just like you know not even the administrators like the people in the front lines are getting death threats i've seen it happen where they're getting harassed at the counter these elections workers um when i come in to, to get do my work um when i'm uh, helping out in campaigns um, and file some paperwork, I see the harassment that they get. Frankly, you know, there have been times when I've been so frustrated with election filing regulations that I've given them shit, right? And I've I've been there, you know, kind of griping on them, but never in any sort of uh, way like that we're seeing now, right? I'm not giving them death threats. I'm just having a professional disagreement, right? Like, <laughs> this is this is awful where their their families are getting uh, threatened. They're th uh, threatened people showing a uh, threat to show up at their house and it shouldn't be happening to elections workers, man. It's but uh, 
we just don't know it's happening. And so you don't really see the public outcry over it because like you said, they buried the lead. Right. The, the, the response, and we're going to have to move on here real quick, but mm-hmm. the responsible way to report that story is to go, go over, put the lead with the, with the threats and then say these threats are happening because of the false claim that right. there was massive election fraud in the 2020 election. Correct. And you don't need to repeat Trump. You don't need to play that Trump clip like at all, right? You don't really need to allude to that or play it at all. You just give, you're giving an audience to it, right? Right. Um, and I mean, they just want, they just want them clicks. I mean, they're no different than we are in the end, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but at least we cop to just wanting them clicks. At least we cop to, <laughs> at least we cop to being like shit disturbers and whatnot. The hey, local anything news we can do to, anything we can do to double our viewership to two people is going to be, you know, it's top of my list. Right, totally anyway, worth it. Totally I, every fo- it. every one of my 21 Twitter followers was a really hard earned follow. Um, so my Twitter uh, so is, a we- di- you know what? Be glad that you're not, my Twitter is a disaster. Really? Now I just open it and there's like hundreds of mentions. Now my Twitter is a disaster. So be glad. Yeah, that- no, I, be glad I know that you're, you're not. I know something's shit. popping off on your account when I know something's popping off on your account when I see my I open mine and it's got like fifteen or twenty. This is a miracle for me mentions. Um, so I know something's going on. Um, because that ain't me. Anything I said that's that's causing those likes. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sorry to I'm sorry that you uh couldn't get yourself on a reputable podcast network and you're associated with the likes of me. But them's the break. Should have won your election, councilman. Should have won your election. That's true. I'd be up on Crooked Media. They give me my own show, Pod Save San Jose. Um, well, shall we move down ballot and do a little, uh, do a little deep dive like we were talking about last week? Yeah, let's check out Proposition Thirty because I, that's uh, the only one of the propositions that, that I've read that I'm not even sure what to do with. So let's let's check out first from Cal Matters. They do a pretty good job of uh, explaining the uh, the ballot measures. So let's check that out first. California. It's known for its stunning beaches, redwood forests, sunny weather, and dirty air. It has some of the worst air quality in the country. State data shows that more than 90% of Californians breathe unhealthy levels of air pollutants. To reduce air pollution and greenhouse emissions, Governor Gavin Newsom has asked the Air Resources Board to ban the sale of all new gas-powered cars by 2035. So, how will the state meet its goal and who's going to pay for it? Voters will help decide this in November. Hi, I'm Nadia Lopez. I cover the environment for Cal Matters, and this is Prop 30 explained in one minute. Prop 30 would impose a 1.75% income tax increase on Californians making more than $2 million per year. The tax would generate up to $4.5 billion annually. Most of the money would go toward rebates for people buying zero-emission cars and to build more charging stations. Half of that funding will go to low- and middle-income residents. A quarter of the money would provide funding to hire and train firefighters. The measure is backed by environmentalists and public health groups and is funded largely by the rideshare company Lyft. State regulations require Lyft and Uber drivers by 2030 to log 90% of their miles in electric vehicles. Supporters say the tax would generate much-needed funding to support wildfire prevention and help accelerate the transition to electric cars. They say the state's top earners should foot the bill since they're the ones most able to afford it. But opponents, including the state Republican Party and Governor Newsom, say Californians don't need more tax hikes because everyone is already feeling the effects of high inflation and surging gas prices. They argue that the tax would drive many residents out of the state to benefit a special interest, rideshare companies. Vote yes if you think millionaires should be taxed to help fund electric car rebates and more firefighters. Vote no if you don't. To learn about this proposition, others visit calmatters.org. To stay up to date on- so That's just kind of the uh, broad strokes of it. Again, like I don't, I don't know, you know, where I'm going to land on this one. Um, I'm uh, shout out to Nadia Lopez, by the way, who 
um, the reporter there, she got her start in the South Bay um, with, I think, Spotlight. It was San Jose Spotlight at one point. So good oh, on her. Really? Moving up in the world. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it would seem to be pretty clear about you know what it's about and what it's designed to do and who it impacts. Um, but then you see you know the folks aligning on either side. It's kind of interesting uh, the way things are set up. And then you find out that Lyft is primarily you know the one financing it. And you're you're uh, whatever the, the the Spidey sense right the 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 neck hairs right. They kind of stand up and you're like there must be something going on here right. There must be something that's benefiting them and their bottom line. They wouldn't spend the money. We wouldn't do all this work to put this on the ballot if there wasn't something in it for them directly. And there is, frankly, I mean, it, it does behoove them and benefit them to have more people buying electric cars. Um, cause they're going to have to all have electric cars at some point. And, uh, Lyft is going to be required to have, um, pretty much every, almost all miles logged in electric cars. So it does benefit them in the long run, make it, it makes their lives easier. It doesn't give them any more money. doesn't give them any more profits. Um, but it certainly, you know, helps, um, but it's telling, I think, that they're the ones out there on the putting their heads out there on this one, and Uber is not necessarily, or DoorDash or the other the others who were concerned about AB five and the new labor laws, right? When when they floated Prop twenty two, um, you don't see that same coalition here. Lyft is pretty much on their own so, um, yeah. with the environmentalists. Well, let's see what uh, ABC seven has to say about all this. Let's do it. All right, coming up on the November ballot will be Proposition 30. This is a measure that could help give California subsidies for electric vehicles. And you know there's a big push in that direction. So the state Democratic Party supports it, but Governor Newsom does not. ABC 7 News anchor Liz Kreutz explains why that is the case and what you need to know about Prop 30. Should taxes be raised on the wealthiest Californians in order to fund new climate projects? That's the question at the heart of Proposition 30. The measure would increase the tax on people making more than $2 million by 1.75%. That revenue would go towards funding electric vehicles, charging stations, and other infrastructure, as well as wildfire prevention. This measure is fully funding existing state programs that accelerate the state's transition to clean vehicles and are making EVs accessible to all Californians. Nick Josefowitz is the chief of policy at the Bay Area think tank Spur, which is supporting the measure. He says the tax is necessary if Californians want to hit its climate goals, including banning gas-powered cars by 2035. We need long-term stable funding to really get to grips with our air pollution and climate in the state. The measure is backed by the California Democratic Party. The biggest financial contributor is Lyft. The rideshare company has poured roughly $15 million into the prop. The group's involvement has created a split among Democrats. Governor Gavin Newsom is fervently against the measure. In a statement, the governor said Prop 30 is a special interest carve out, a cynical scheme devised by a single corporation to funnel state income tax revenue to their company. The question more than anything is not a question of whether the rich should pay their fair share. The question is, should the money be going for Lyft? Matthew Rodriguez runs the No on 30 group. He says the measure is a ploy by Lyft to get taxpayers to help meet its state mandate to electrify their vehicle fleet. He also argues the state has already given huge investments into similar climate initiatives and that the measure is too limited in its scope. There's a lot of priorities that we have in the state and we can't be basically going to the ballot every single time to raise taxes for one company as opposed to the whole state. Lyft said in a statement that environmental groups approached them about partnering on the measure and the recent heat wave is a reminder of how urgent it is to address the climate crisis. 
Newsom's opposition has puzzled some Prop 30 supporters who say it would help fund the governor's own climate goals. California political reporter Jamie White says there could be more behind Newsom's staunch opposition. The point、uh, has definitely been made that this is the same governor who is touting his order requiring all new cars sold in California to be zero or low emission by 2035. But my understanding is that there is also a broader. Reluctance by the governor to look to tax increases right now,、uh, particularly given inflation and some of the recession warning signs we've seen on the horizon. Liz Kreutz, ABC Seven News. So they they I don't think the money just goes to Lyft. That was no, that's weir- the thing. It, it and it doesn't and like doesn't really directly at all.、Um, it goes to these pro- incentive programs that aren't just benefiting. You know, it's not just exclusively available to Lyft driver riders, right? It's available to anyone.、Um, probably in certain、uh, you know, income demographics too. I'm sure lower income demographics,、um, and it creates more EV charging stations,、um, which you know certainly helps Lyft drivers who are transitioning to electric vehicles. But again, does not directly help them. It helps everybody. It just so happens that it helps their business model. Um, and then the fire protection really doesn't do anything for Lyft at all, like the training of firefighters. Well, I mean, you、um, can't really run a rideshare in California if the whole state's on fire. That's true. That's true. <laughs>、uh, and you know, the, the supply chain gets interrupted, all that jazz. But、um, and then、uh, you add on to that, that, oh, this argument. Well, the governor doesn't want to, you know, get involved in you know raising taxes or new taxes. It's a tax on people making two million dollars a year or more. And granted, like you know, that money is not. <laughs> The dollar doesn't go as far as it used to, but if you're making two million dollars a year, you're doing all right. So,、um, you know, and if, if it's four point five billion dollars that's coming out of that, it's not a huge chunk out of your pocket, to be honest with you. And the the that these millionaire taxes, I don't know, I, I can't see how Gavin Newsom is out there fighting this unless he's out there shilling for the millionaires,、uh, the people who he had dinner with at the French Laundry, right? Like, oh look at me now, I'm <laughs> now I'm jumping down that rabbit hole. But it it now it starts to track, right? Now it kind of starts all this starts to track. Unless、um, like there's unless there's something going on we don't know about, like if there's a proposal he has that this kind of undercuts that like gets out in front of something he was trying to do, which is、sure. I think which I think requires like way less assumptions、uh, than than other than other things that people might be like other speculation people might be making about why he is、uh, against it that he yeah that he just has something、yeah. like that this like kind of like kneecaps him on something he wanted to do in six months well, well, through the legislature or something you know. We'll find out a little more in the next story, but there's also the you know the there's a very big ego、uh, in, in involved in you know governance、um, and and、uh, the folks who feel like they know what they're doing right you know just like there is in like we were talking about with the, with any profession right、um, they feel like they know what they're doing and they don't like it when corporations come in and spend a bunch of money to put something on the ballot they may not be a perfect piece of legislation right like、uh, the professional legislators the people that do this for a living and have been there for years. They might be able to craft a better piece of legislation, maybe with more public input, right?、Um, so they there's they're offended that the, this is going to this this measure could pass and come in and disrupt their plans, right? You have, like you said, disrupt their way of doing business, right?、Um, that's a lot of also what what goes on here. And then they use the you know he, he's you know, governor uses、uh, other excuses like oh well Lyft is a nefarious corporation trying to increase their profits when really he's just offended that anyone would try to you know force his hand or force the hand of government. Yeah, because there's the, I just don't see a way in which this like immediately funnels money to anybody, particularly because、yeah. uh, it's not like、yeah. Lyft is buying a fleet of cars. They like the, one of the criticisms of the ride sharing companies is that they make you buy the car, they make you maintain、right. the car, 
and then they they pay right. you as a contractor. So it's not like they're not even buying cars and getting like the getting like a rebate on the car themselves. So Correct. it's like you could there's no there's no I mean I guess you could say that it benefits their drivers, but that's good. Well, yeah, you could you could even say that they're doing a good, right? That they're doing a good by their rider, but drivers they're, they're helping their drivers, you know, fulfill this requirement that the state has put upon them. Frankly, um, like a, you know, maybe they wouldn't have mandated that their, their riders get EVs, so they're like, okay, guys, yeah, we know you're mandated to get an EV, so here we're gonna get this incentive out there for you. Um, and for it, but it benefits everyone. It's not just Lyft, like Uber drivers can apply for this. You know, um, I'm I'm really surprised that Uber isn't in on this, to be honest with you. But um, who knows? Uber's, like said, Uber's, Uber's had a very bad reputation the whole time. So maybe whoever's in charge over there is like, let's just shut the hell up about any kind let's of Let's give a bunch of money stuff. to Lyft to do, yeah, let's give a bunch of money to Lyft to, to run well, this shit for us. I think that's probably illegal, but <laughs> I mean, I just probably, mean that they're like, probably. I, think that, I think that somebody over there, like some cooler head has prevailed over there because they've been, Uber has been doing a really good job of shutting the fuck up, like about everything. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't heard about them at all mm-hmm. in the news since they've gotten their new CEO. So maybe they're that's true. Maybe they're like laying low, and that's why well, they got what they want. They got what they wanted with the the carve out from the labor laws. So they're they're excited. Um, well, if you want to know why uh, Governor Newsom is opposed, uh, hopefully this story from uh, CBS Low. I think this is local down in uh, SoCal, or Sacramento. Sorry, they're going to uh, give us a little more information. There's a ballot measure this November promising to boost funding for wildfire prevention and other climate-related programs. Those are top priorities for Governor Newsom, but the measure actually has him siding with his political enemies. CBS 13's Madison Keevy is getting answers on why. Live in Sacramento tonight. Madison. Yeah, that's the big question. What is going on here? Uh, Supporters of Prop 30 say that it could save hundreds of thousands of acres of land from burning in wildfires every year if it's passed because there'd be more money for fuel reduction and as well as hiring more firefighters. The governor says, though, not so fast that really this measure would lie in the pockets of a company known as Lyft. The firefight against the mosquito fire picked up this week. More than 3,000 personnel are at work to contain what's now the state's largest wildfire of the year. Wildfires like this put smoke into the air miles from the front lines. And the firefighters who work round the clock will likely not get the chance to go home for 21 to 28 days at a time. When you don't know you're going to get home to your wife or your family, I'm having a daughter here in two months, it just adds that stress that we don't need. Prop 30 would impose a personal income tax increase on Californians who make more than $2 million a year to fund a list of climate initiatives. The goal is to clean up the state's polluted air, dirtied from catastrophic wildfires and gas-powered vehicles. The measure includes incentives to subsidize zero-emission vehicles. They show like a fancy sports car. Against the measure because it would offer a tax break to Lyft, who backs the measure. On wildfires, 20% of the total revenue that could be brought in by the new tax on high-income taxpayers would go to wildfire response and prevention. An issue voters think about. I mean, it comes to mind a lot because, uh, yeah, just it's not getting any better right now with everything with uh, fires. Yeah, fires are crazy right now. A public policy institute of California poll found when likely voters are read the ballot title and what it's about, 55% said they'd vote yes. 40% said they'd vote no. Children, seniors, outdoor workers uh, like our firefighters. 
um, those with heart and lung diseases and lower income communities are facing greater risk due to these extreme wildfire smoke events. Prop 30 would put more money towards these efforts. Opponents of the measures say there's a state surplus, no need to add a new tax. There's two TV ads going around right now. One in support of Prop 30 has the face and voice of a firefighter talking about the crisis. The other no on Prop 30 has Governor Newsom in it, not mincing his words. And both sides hope that those ads are emotional enough for voters to remember when they hit the polls in November. Yeah, lots of ad money being spent right now, that's for sure. Madison, thanks. Okay, that didn't really say much about like why Newsom is against Prop 30. It just like kind of laid out the same things we saw in the other clips. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and again, I think this it's primarily because just it's really not hard to tell why he's so adamantly against it. Like, I, I can understand shilling for the rich and your rich donors, right, and and not wanting to increase their taxes for whatever reason to help to maybe help lift. Um, but that's the kind of situation where you just don't endorse, you just stay out of the race, you don't get involved, right? You don't really, even if it's something you like, you don't promote it too much, right? Too heavily. And you just stay out of it. You don't weigh in. You don't go to the mattresses and, and do an ad, a TV ad, a statewide TV ad about it, right? With all the fancy graphics, unless you're really opposed to it. So there's something, you're right, there's something going on here. I just, to, and to make him line up with a GOP. And was, now it also is worth pointing out, speaking of teachers unions, CTA, the California Teachers Association is also opposed to this. So there's something happening here and I would love to find out what it is. I just don't quite know. So hopefully we'll find out before, <laughs> before the election. But in the meantime, I, I feel like supporting this measure um, myself, but you know, I'll, I'll leave it up to our listener to, to make their own decisions. So we got one more clip on it, and it talks about how uh, <clears throat> the Democratic Party in California seems to be uh, aligning with yes, and again, the the governor seems to be on the no side. Yes. Yay, San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo standing with labor unions today, supporting Proposition 30. It would no, raise random. income taxes by 1.75% for people earning more than $2 million a year. That could generate around $5 billion a year. Most of the money would go to programs that help people buy electric cars and install charging stations. 20% would be used to boost CAL FIRE staffing and wildfire prevention and response programs. Licardo now joins Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff and the state's Democratic Party in supporting it, saying it's time to act with urgency on climate change. And if someone's got a better solution, let's hear it. But right now, we've got to do everything we can to support our firefighters that are out there and do what we can to electrify a transportation system because that's our only path forward. But it's in stark contrast with Governor Gavin Newsom, who not only opposes it, Prop 30 is being advertised as a climate initiative, but is the face of the no on Prop 30 campaign and TV ads running across the state. He argues Prop 30, as it's written, would benefit rideshare company Lyft, which has now spent $25 million to get voters to say yes. Yeah, no. When asked about it in San Jose last week, Newsom questioned the need for a tax increase that would benefit select corporations to do something the state is already doing. And so there was one large corporation, a wonderful company, that's going to be one of the line share beneficiaries of raising everybody else's taxes to direct money. Everyone else? In an area where we just passed the largest appropriation and the largest budget 
in U.S. history, $53.9 billion for our transition to electric vehicles and climate change. But supporters argue it would help all Californians by making electric cars more affordable. This is not a, a giveaway to Lyft. That's a very small portion. Those drivers are all private business people in their own rights who have their own cars. But what about everyone else who's driving, who's lower income, trying to get to work and needs a vehicle, and they need to move to electric? This, this is the kind of program that will help them. You'll find Prop 30 on your November ballot. In the South Bay, Ian Cole, NBC, Bay Area News. <laughs> everybody else, like, like that's people that make $2 million a year. That's not everybody else. Like No, definitely not. Uh, and, it's everybody else in some some someone's perspective, maybe, but yeah, definitely not in any, any reasonable perspective. And the guy at the end, like, had the right point, kind of, I think. He was like, hey, this is, you know, the people who drive for Lyft are actually have to pay for their own car. So, <laughs> Right. And these are folks that we, we usually... Folks like us are trying to help, right? The people who are who um, are low income. They're, they're, I mean, they're driving for Lyft for a reason, right? They need a job, they need a gig. So uh, let's help them out. Anyway, uh, so that's that's the deep dive into Prop Thirty. Any have you uh, been been swayed, been moved, producer Dave, in any direction on the measure? Or are you still sort of trying to figure it out? You waiting, waiting for I more mean, information? It was surprising to see Sam Licardo standing in front of a bunch of labor people labor unions yeah that was hilarious <laughs> but but i mean the flip side of that is that he is like politically ambitious and he's going to probably toe the party line as much as he can as we go forward and he gets out of um you know he gets out of his job as the san jose mayor and has like more uh, like aspirations of higher office so yeah it was yeah, just he... weird to see him with the labor people because that's usually the people who are against him on most things for city politics yeah, some issues make strange bedfellows. He's this is very much in his lane, um, and very much something he he would tout, right? Like a in, uh, environmental resilience uh, measures, things like this. He, this is certainly up his alley, um, and it helps. It definitely certainly doesn't hurt his relationship with labor. Doesn't hurt his profile um, to be seen in that in that space. Um, and there there were a lot of groups there that I would normally associate with with labor, but it's I mean it's good to see. It's good to see that the that we can have that kind of uh, camaraderie. Um, but of course, then there's there's defectors from the, the bunch uh, over to the other side for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, so what we have next here is uh, it's a candidate form. We're obviously not going to get to all of it. We'll maybe do like the first ten minutes of it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, intro, intros only would be fine. I think. Um, so this is the only uh, city council race in San Jose that I would say is uh, super contested. I think there will be one at least incumbent who has has a really tough go of it. But in this case, this is an open seat for the District Three seat. It's downtown. Uh, San Jose, currently represented by Raul Perales, who is terming out. He did not was not successful in his mayoral run. Um, so these are the two candidates that are vying to replace him. And it's more it's it's gotten uh, very interesting, shall we say, of late. It's not going to come up here, but we'll uh, hopefully have more a clip on it sooner or later. But um, a very racist and tropey mailer has just landed in this race, um, and we'll let you guess which candidate sent it out. Um, but we'll do do the intros and. And learn a little bit more about them. This is Terry Christensen, a former professor from San Jose State uh, Political Science Department, who has a show on Create TV called Valley Politics. And this is his, uh, it's sort of a, a competitor, I guess, of ours, only not anywhere near as fun. Um, but uh, this is his uh, District 3 Candidates Forum. Our guests today are Irene Smith and Omar Torres, the top two of five candidates for San Jose City Council District 3 in the June primary. They now face each other in the November runoff election. By way of background, District 3 is comprised of downtown San Jose and surrounding neighborhoods. The population of the district is 45% Latino, 
26% Asian, 24% white, and 3% black. And it's a growing district with a lot of new high-rise housing planned or under construction. Let's meet the candidates. We need an intro like this. Only set to, you know, uh, big small towns. We should ask for a tour of their studio. We can certainly get it. I think they're changing studios, but welcome we can certainly get it once welcome it's... Welcome Omar Torres and Irene Smith. We've asked both of you to keep your answers to about a minute. If you can, follow-ups are acceptable. Oh, We're going to have some questions from community members as we go along, and we will have a tough lightning round of questions eventually. Um, but let's just start with why each of you is running and what you hope to bring to the City Council. Omar, start with you. Absolutely. So I'm running for San Jose City Council for many reasons. Uh, I grew up in an underserved community called the Guadalupe Washington uh, neighborhood and it was a neighborhood where every single day I saw prostitution, I saw, uh, I saw crime, I saw drug dealing, my friends were joining gangs. And well, they gentrified all that shit out. Throughout that process, we said enough is enough. Not quite in that neighborhood and yet. And many Still of there. us from all ages organized, worked with our city and our county to bring in resources into this uh, severely underserved uh, community over 25 years ago. And since then, uh, we've, you know, we've gone a little bit safer. Uh, we've created open spaces. We've, we've created public spaces like libraries and, and youth centers that are extremely important for underserved communities. And that's why I'm running. I want to bring the community voice to San Jose City Hall. And I've, con I've continued to do that for over 25 years, organizing underserved communities and bringing them to the table and making important decisions uh, for their families, uh, their, their jobs, uh, and their livelihood. So that's why I want to be on the San Jose City Council. Okay, thanks, Irene. Um, I'm running because my neighborhood and my D3 is in a crisis. We've asked for action for a long time and there hasn't been any sense of urgency at all from the city. So from our perspective, the city is pretty much stuck in the muck and they're repeating over and over what they've been doing. They're pouring more mud into the hole that they've dug and then they're asking for more money to dig themselves out. And if we look at this pattern, this system, we have to ask ourselves who is benefiting from this and who's not benefiting. And from my perspective, it's big that benefits. It's big government that benefits, it's big business that benefits, it's big nonprofits, and it's big special interests that benefit. And the folks that are losing, those are me, those are my neighbors. That's the guy that's living on the sidewalk and somebody's asking him to stay there and live there for another five years until we build housing. It's the couple that's looking, looking for an apartment that's affordable. It's the small business owner that needs to be able to survive and they're just inundated with bureaucracy. And from my perspective, D3 needs a brand new voice, a different perspective that can shake off this mud and have a call to action. And I'm running because of my D3 recovery plan, and I think that's the beginning of our answers. Well, we'll probably get into that plan eventually. Okay, uh, yeah, just doing the intros was good. I already, I already know who I prefer. I like the, I like the gentleman more because she was like, she's 
wanting to she's like big government and big business and it's just like oh these are just talking points this is all boilerplate that you could get off of like any like any like like third way both sides kind of like website if you want to run for office somewhere and you want to yeah. appeal to uh people who are just i don't know want to i don't know they want to feel like they're they're smarter than everybody and she's i wouldn't be surprised if that's where she got it frankly from some third uh, way group some third way type of group yeah, she's. She, I don't believe she has. I have to check her for financial forms, but I don't believe she has. You know, a real professional consultant. I think she's doing a lot of the thinking on this campaign herself, and that's a really dangerous uh, thing for a candidate to get into, especially one like Irene, who is a, a you know community activist, kind of a, a. I don't want to say a NIMBY at all. She's a very interesting cat. Like she, there are parts of that speech that you know, if you just cut it, cut it out, right, and and carve it out and pl- plug it as its own thing talking about the little guy, the populist sort of angle, right? The person on the corner, right? The couple trying to afford a house. That's really resonant with a lot of people, right? It's just like what you're saying, what you're talking about was sort of the more, um, uh, you know, right-wing tropey kind of language she had at the beginning. And then this whole m- metaphor of mud, it's going to come back when we talk about her mailer, uh, if we get some some visuals on that soon. But um, it's it's a lot of the sort of language that she's that she's putting out there because her opponent is Latino, right? He's He's brown. It's very obvious. Um, and th- there's a lot of shit being said um, about him in uh, without, you know, uh, that is couched in these kind of dog whistly things like mud, right? Like we, we need to get out of the mud. We need to get out of the, you know, we need to get the, get past this, this filthy, um, you know, district we have now with the Latino council member who's there right now, by the way, who's terming out, like how much, how much he feel um, to, to be, you know, slandered like this and said that he's running his district into the mud, Right. Um, so there's, there's this definite thread of like white saviorhood going on here and Karenism and, uh, white fragility. Um, so it's, it's disturbing to see, it looks as though Omar is in good shape. Um, but what we shall see what ha- he did very well in the primary. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, you'll also be happy to know he will be the first, um, openly gay member of the council since Ken Yeager. Oh, um, nice. So that's, uh, that's very good to see. We'll have, it'd be great to have some LGBTQ plus representation. Um, so yeah, more to come, but, um, uh, I think I think we all know where <laughs> at least where the down ballot folks uh, stand on this one, right? And I think for and another thing, because uh, we're kind of up against it here, I just want to follow up on a story we covered uh, twice or three times. Actually, we first covered it because it was one of the most down ballot things we ever covered, where a guy got busted in his like auto shop um, with a bunch of pipe bombs, and then his attorney was like, "This is just his hobby," and <laughs> we were like, "Wait, what? <laughs> These are hobbyist pipe bombs?" And it turned out that it wasn't just the guy's hobby because he was plotting to firebomb the state democratic headquarters in Northern California. <laughs> so, right. So that was not um, a hobby. And uh, he is, you know, he's going through the courts and it appears that he has been asked to take a psych evaluation. This is also one of the most uh, echoplex media ish things ever, because we ended up uh, stopping our coverage of a certain man named Austin Bennett after the psych evaluation uh, saga. So this is just, you know, right. we're just kind of keeping an eye on this. This was one of our, yep. I wouldn't say one of our better stories, but definitely one of the stories that more like kind of represents like what we're doing and the kinds of things we're looking for. Um, we're just, I'm just real glad that this guy didn't actually get to firebomb anything. Yes, true. Uh, but we will certainly follow up this. I think this literally broke like today, which is why there's no video yet. This, this will be on the local news. They'll def- they'll do a follow up on this one. Um, Cause it's, yeah, it's one of those juicy ones they like to get. They get the clicks. Yeah, we'll have some video hits on this next week. So, uh, Councilman, sure. as as, sure. as you do, you want to read us out this week? 
Absolutely. Well, uh, producer Dave, I want to thank you as always for running the dials on Down Ballot. You can tune in here every week uh, at 7.30 Pacific, almost every week, except when you can't. Um, so please uh, subscribe on Twitch, uh, da- uh, download the podcast on your podcatcher of choice, and be sure to tune in for Local Love coming right up uh, after a little break as we move into the uh, the evening portion of the locals here on Echoplex Media. I'm going to kick it over to Audible Smoke, and please uh, get vaccinated, wear a mask. Pants are totally optional. Have a great day. <laughs> To get the party started Pick up my phone Just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice For the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car Just to get to where they are Here at the local scene Is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette And I hold my drink I look at all my friends They're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage Waiting for FTV Where are those guys Who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand Ready to blaze for me About five minutes later We're all singing queen Now get the fuck up on and like the scene, yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car To smoke another one And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing And you know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it And then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. Last up on the field for the show tonight is down and dirty and five, so we're headed outside to spark up another joint. Now who's got my light? A stoner E, of course. Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch, being who I gotta be. I'm fucked up like the U.S. economy. The truth is, is that I don't think logically. Stoner E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside motherfuckers is rockin' me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' me Rockin' the rollie, all the sexy girl be jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck, but I'll probably do a sloppin' me We do what we want What we wanna do And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band
Media streams seven days a week on twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. With a variety of hosts and topics, there's bound to be something you'll like or hate so much you can't stop watching it. All times are Pacific. Check out our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.